Welcome to Mastery Music. My name is Petronella Turin and today I'm proud, excited and eager to present for you today's guest. Susanne Schimak. She's an amazing Valkyria woman with a voice with the power of a goddess. At least since her last role, Elektra, in Richard Strauss' opera. She is a dramatic soprano whose second home is the opera stage. She has worked all over the world, from Denmark in the north, at the Royal Opera in Copenhagen, to the Arizona Opera. She has sung over 90 operatic roles, as Turandot, Parsifal, Carmen, and her latest grand interpretation of Electra. She has also written a research about Electra as a role in the Conservatorium Maastricht, where she is a main subject lecturer in opera and opera solo singing. She tells us amazing good advice in how to become great opera singers and musicians, and how to cope with the life on stage when you have to act in a love scene, for example. She also tells us how she as a kid used to listen to jazz and how she one day just walked into the theatre and asked them how she can become a singer. Before I start the episode, I have to thank my partners, the Student Radio Maastricht, Music for You Maastricht, a music school where they are your personal trainer in music, and Takeaway Concerts by Swedish Cellist. It is concerts that you can order to your home or wherever you like, at any time you like. Just like takeaway food actually, but uh, instead of feeding yourself, you're feeding your ears. Don't forget to sign up to the Mastery Music newsletter at www.masterymusic.com. Now let's listen to Susanne Schimak and when she sings Mahler.
Welcome to Music in Master. Thank you, Petra. Master in Music, actually. <laughs> I you. always say Music in Master for some reason. <laughs> what also makes sense. Yeah, because it is music in the yes. master as well. Yeah. I know that you've been teaching all day. Yep. Yeah, in the Conservatory in Maastricht, yes. where you're a professor yes. in singing yes. and opera knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> My research pace. <laughs> so, how is the day teaching? Well, it is exhausting. I'm always exhausted after a day of teaching. At the same time, though, it's really recharging my own batteries. I find that my teaching has, you know, the teaching and the singing has become one. I really teach one-to-one the way I sing. And so, therefore, any progress and any discovery that my students make also finds its way into my own singing. I use a lot, I get a lot of inspiration from teaching. 
So I'm very passionate about it. I really like it, although it really also drains me. And I've, I know that, uh, you know, we among colleagues, we talk about it. And then I hear the comment quite frequently. Well, you don't have, you know, don't take it so personal. You shouldn't take it so personal. I don't know how to do that. I think you have to take it personal. It's a very intimate, it's a very personal thing. So I think it's, it, I'm rightfully drained. Yeah, I'll be okay I, tomorrow. I also heard like some um, like mental trainer, they always say, uh, you don't know anything until you can teach it. It's true. So they, you really, it forces you to really bundle up your knowledge. You have to really reflect on what it is you actually do yourself. Also, excuse my language, but also the bullshit. You also have to filter What is it? What are the, the compensation mechanisms that I use? Do I need them? And if I do use them, if I, if I become conscious of them, I should filter them to not pass them on to my students because, that, you know, everybody has their own mechanisms in the end. Yeah, of course. Mm. And um, it's also really hard to communicate the language because I, I guess that you have a lot of different students from different yeah. uh, countries in, yeah. in Europe and also outside maybe yeah actually now I have a brand new student she arrived today from Brazil wow yeah and her English is quite shaky at the moment so, but you know it's for me the language finding words finding vocabulary is not really so much of a challenge The challenge for me is that we're dealing not with absolute values. We're dealing with very abstract, we're dealing with feelings. It's all in your body. You can never check, you can never take it out and have a look. So it's very difficult to kind of find words that work for everybody. One expression might just do the, the trick for one student and for somebody else, you will have to come up with something else. So it's very, uh, it's like playing ping pong, mm -hmm. you know, it's affecting and being affected. That's, that can be very challenging. And uh, as a singer, you also carry your instrument mm -hmm. inside your body, mm -hmm. so you cannot, as you said, take it out and yeah. look at it. Because I'm a chalice, so you can always like point it and my <laughs> body can go yeah. and, yes. and put my This finger. This is how, yeah. 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 yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We also do that sometimes. Yeah. But you cannot dig into other people's uh, physicality. No. <laughs> it's, it's hard. So what is the common, like, not problems, but the challenges that, uh, mm -hmm. that you have uh, when you teach your student? Like, is it something that most students struggle with? I think it's not something that students struggle with. I think it's something that singers in general struggle with. One of the biggest challenges, I mean, I can only talk from my personal experience. You know, so we're selling a product. The product, I am my own artistic product. So, of course, I need to deliver something that finds a market. It's very difficult to make myself independent of the judgment of the others. So, at the same time, though, it's crucial to develop a healthy technique, to develop a healthy singing, a healthy way of singing, to not depend on a cosmetic sound, but to really find The timbre, the color of your instrument, the, as I said, the mechanism, there is nature that dictates the mechanism. And we kind of have to go back to the roots of everything to develop that sound. And for some people, it's very quick. And for others, it takes a long time. The bigger the voice, usually, the more difficult it is because it takes patience. It's like, you know, you said something interesting as you were setting up this interview. You said, well, I, in the last podcast, there was so much material I really liked. I had a difficult time deciding what to cut. And I had a conversation years ago with a, with a friend of mine who's a, um, he carves statues from wood oh, and stone, a sculpture. Yeah. And I said, so, I mean, 
you have this big block of wood or this big block of stone. How do you know what to take away in order to shape it? And he said, oh, it's very simple. I just take off the stuff that is not useful. Mm. Well, how do you know, right? Yeah. And the more material you have, the more that would be to take off or to kind of build up and support underneath. I don't know if I'm making sense in what yeah. I'm saying. So that's a very common thing that I encounter students who've had previous training that was very cosmetic. So a teacher will say, well, can you brighten that sound and can you speak more and can you... That's all important. But if the nature of that voice is different, you're going against nature. And that will... So it's, it's a dead end. It's a little bit like uh, my mixer table here for the mm -hmm. podcast. So mm -hmm. They use, when you say cosmetic sound, yeah. that's a little bit what you mean, that they use the... Yes, more brr, brr, you, brr. Yeah, exactly. You turn that knob to the right and that... But that, that's not how it works because with, for a singer... Everything is connected. Everything is intertwined. The breathing and the toneness and the posture and the, the mindset, and you know, which I had a good laugh yesterday when I read your comments. You said the, uh, the most, what, fearless and wild creatures. Yeah. And I thought, well, wild, that's true. I'm not sure about the, fear, <laughs> the fearless, but uh, yeah. I, it's because uh, as an instrumentalist, uh, we always, oh, it's the singers. <laughs> you know, it's like we have this kind of, we put you in a box yeah. a little bit as a joke with all the love that we have. Yeah. We also put the violas in a box. <laughs> so do we. <laughs> and <laughs> the tenors have their own box. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So it's like fun to... But it's also like when I see a performance of the opera singing or I saw your pictures, mm -hmm. like when you're an electra mm -hmm. with a big like weapon in your hand yeah. and like, ah, you know, it's quite wild for me. Because it's like you have this, you have your instrument and then you have your clothes and you have the makeup, you have to dance, you have to speak all the languages. Mm -hmm. It's like they are demanding so much of you mm -hmm. that the instrumentalist can sort of like get out of. Like mm -hmm. I was studying in Belgium mm -hmm. in the French conservatorium and I don't really speak very good French. Right, I can okay. speak okay, you know, I can order <laughs> food, mostly the same kind of food, but I could get away with so much stuff because I don't speak the language, yeah. because I don't have to communicate with my mouth. Yeah. Well, you know, in a way, as a singer, I would sign everything you said. At the same time, though, all these things, all these layers, the costume, the wig, the weapon, the suggestive power of the orchestra, of the music, that also helps you to really get into what you're doing. And as you were asking me, I thought it's actually kind of it's a zen thought you know the the zen master will tell you you know uh, on the way to enlightenment go get the water and chop the wood that's what you do every day and then one day out of nowhere enlightenment will happen and what do you day do the day after you go and you get the water and you chop the wood it just keeps going so you're tr you're building up all these competences and these techniques and this key knowledge of your your authentic self and then you have to forget everything in order to be free on stage mm. that's also something that i think performers in general but singers in particular struggle with because you know i used to be uh, i still am but when i was very young i was a very very intuitive singer you just put me on a stage and i do it i don't know how but i do it mm. and as i got older and the challenges grew I realized that that's not going to be enough because then I'm handing myself over to coincidence. And coincidence is not the same thing as improvisation because improvisation, you, you are sort of reacting. You're ready to react and you're allowing things to trigger stuff in you and you allow yourself to react. If you depend on coincidence, that creates 
a lot of insecurity, and then you're not free to react. And improvisation becomes almost impossible. So I really found for myself that good preparation, being in shape, in shape, I mean, you know, we all know that there used to be times when singers were very fat. I'm not the skinniest person on the planet, but, you know, now you really have to have a certain, we need to feel that the person, the singer on stage has a very strong body-mind connection. And if you weigh 200 kilos, it's impossible. Yeah, I was in a, actually in the in a performance mm-hmm. of the Nibelungen Ring. Mm-hmm. And Where all, did you go? Uh, it was actually in Sweden, uh-huh. in Karlstad, uh, in the Värmlands Opera for uh-huh. some years ago. Yeah. And all the singers were quite heavy, uh-huh. especially one bass. He uh-huh. was so big and I was sitting in the front row because uh-huh. of a general rehearsal. Yeah. So they invited some students to come and listen. And I was so scared because when he, <laughs> they had this scenery where he's like rolling and I'm like, oh my God, they're going to get him over me. It was really scary. It works. Sorry for interrupting. That's a bad habit. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, it was that was the end of my story. But I was scared. You know, it works for some repertoire. Like for Wagner, you yeah. might see some bigger singers. But overall, the tendency is now that you will have singing models. Yeah. It's not like when you look at the singers in the 50s or 60s, like Montserrat Cavalier, who mm. just passed away, or Pavarotti, you will not have that anymore. Yeah. I could maybe now name two singers who are on the top of their... Fat and famous. Yeah, fat and famous. Oh, I like that. I should have a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. You, you really, you know, it's, it, it, it claims being a singer, being a performer. It's musical theater. So you need to be a, an actor. You need to be an actress. You need to be able to move on stage. The dancing, you know, if you have a director who knows what he's doing, he will spare you the dancing. But... Mm-hmm. Um, in general, you really... So you have to break it down to a kind of a regime of really being in touch with yourself physically and mentally. But I think that's the same for instrumentalists, Yeah, isn't like it? for me, I experienced that it's the difference that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's small things. Yes. It's not anymore... Because everyone is skilled. Yeah. Everyone is really True. good at playing. Everyone is very musicality. So what is the difference is actually the shapes. True. Mental training is so important these yeah. days. I really discovered that because so much in the moment. Yeah. Can you control yourself today? Can you can you order success mm-hmm. and stuff like this? Mm-hmm. So yeah, because it's hard. The, mar- the market is hard. And also resilience. You know, it's like the new word, but it's so true that we go on audition and there's a lot of uh, rejection. That's the nature of the business. Yeah. People like it or they don't like it. It doesn't necessarily mean that the quality of your audition was bad, but maybe you're just not what they're looking for. So there is a lot of resistance, rejection. Mm. <laughs> and it's, it, you know, the longer you're in it, you would think that, well, you get used to it. You don't. Mm. You really need to get over the fact that it's not you personally, it's the product that is being rejected. And therefore you need to build up resilience. That is something that we also need to teach our students. That think of, if I, I think the best comparison for a singer would be a sportsman, like running a marathon. Depending on the repertoire, some of us run, you know, 100 meters. And when you sing Wagner and Strauss and all that stuff, it's like really marathon. So you have to know that it's not only the running, it's also maybe you go swimming one day, you have a mental coach, you have a a massage therapist, you have a a physiotherapist. We don't have that. So we need to be all that in one person. And that makes it 
really difficult at times. Yeah. And, and, sorry, just no, one more no. sentence. Because you said, you know, we put the singers in a box with all the love with, that we have. And I know the box mm. and I'm also in it and I like to be in it. Mm. But I know that sometimes people say about us that we're difficult. And some singers are difficult. But I think sometimes that is just the expression of helplessness and of insecurity. Mm. They're really trying and they feel like they're, you know, caught in, in some box. And then this is what happens. So we need to also pass this on to our students. Everybody struggles yeah. all the time. Even the professionals who have been in the profession for a very long time. It's okay to struggle and you have to embrace it and that will free you. I think um, I really agree with what you say, like with the sportsman. And I also like reflected a lot about this because mm -hmm. I recently started a music school. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, okay, it's called Music for You Maastricht. Uh -huh. And it's more like a personal trainer in music yeah. because I realized that we need more than just be able to play our instrument yeah. good. So that's why like I wanted to have this music school that can offer mental training mm -hmm. because I want my student to be able to play even though they are ner nervous, Fantastic. I want them to be able to practice mm -hmm. and know how to practice mm -hmm. and know how the memory works. This is works. so crucial. Yeah, yeah, because a lot of people, they study uh, 10 hours and it's your shit. Yeah. It makes them worse. Yes. And I, I don't want that. And I did it myself yeah. until I took like really charge of my life and yeah. like, how does my brain actually works? Yeah. Because if you buy a rabbit <laughs> that I did, <laughs> uh, I have a little rabbit. It's then, called Ralph, by yeah, the way. Yeah, <laughs> the rabbit. Then you read books about rabbit. You search on the internet. How does a rabbit work? When does he need to eat? How much do he need to eat? But no one knows anything about humans in the music world, at yeah. least. And that I was like, if you don't know how your memory works, how are you expecting to take care of yourself? The memory and also the, also the, the brain and also the muscle memory. Yeah. Because I don't know if you agree, but, you know, you if you practice the wrong way, you are training a wrong muscle memory yeah. and it's very difficult to get out of those habits yeah. it's easy to get into a wrong routine but it's very difficult to resolve it so this is this is also something to really consider and i think i think this is something that we can only again for the students i had this american teacher because you know i, I studied in, in america and she would always say if it ain't feel right it probably ain't right mm. and that still, I still quote her because there's a lot of truth in it. You think being a hardworking musician and being a hardworking artist includes irritation, and it does. And it includes disappointment, and it does. But it shouldn't include pain. There shouldn't be physical pain in it. You can be tired. You can be exhausted. You can, you know, be all hungry, all that. But if your muscles, your throat or your hands or whatever start hurting, it's your body is telling you something. It's time to question yourself. Is this what I'm doing? The right thing? Am I with the right teacher? Am I in the right profession? All these, because it is a life decision. And I don't know, I have, so far I have not yet met anybody who went into it and gave it up and kind of was able to really release it. I know people who have gone into different professions, but they always sort of keep coming back and looking for contact and, you know, yeah. That's the beauty and that's also the tragedy of it. So how did you make your decision? Was it a moment where you're like, I'm going to be, to be a singer? singer? Yeah. Oh, no, you know what happened is when I was a child, my father was a great fan of jazz. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of, I, I grew up listening to Shirley Bessie and Ella Fitzgerald and Sarah Vaughan and Dinah Washington and all these great jazz singers. And I was completely blown. That was, I found that so intriguing. And when I was a little girl, we lived in a, in a, in a house with 
the, the, the staircase was of stone. And so there was an echo. And I would like oh. walk down. Yeah, and I would, Ooh! and there was this echo. And I thought, this is so amazing. It doesn't, it does something. And this is, so when I was 15, after an attempt to play the flute and an attempt to play the guitar, I said, I'm going to be a singer. And everybody said, sure. Now she's going to be a singer. So I met the singer. I was trying, this uh, teacher, I tried to find a teacher. And he was this big Hungarian, Hungarian bass. And I said, oh, I want to be a jazz singer. And he looked at me and said, yeah, but look, you don't look like a jazz singer. You don't sound like a jazz singer. I, th- I was 15. I think you need to sing opera. And it went within days. I, I connected, I related to that feeling of sound. And that was it. Yeah. So I really, you know, the, the original play, a plan to be a, vet, uh, a veterinarian mm. <laughs> went down the drain and everything just kind of, it was not my planning. It was not my doing. It just happened. I also wanted to be a veterinarian. And then <laughs> well, you know, when we retire, be, we can yes. always... <laughs> That's changed. I'm going to be a veterinarian now. Yes. We're going to sing for, for the rabbit. It sounds like a plan. <laughs> the singing veterinary. Yay! Um, but cool. So it was an echo in the, in the staircase. Yeah. Don't yeah. take away the echo, guys. Pharaohs out there. <laughs> yes. you, want... you know, singers are like that. You, you put them in a the bathroom yeah. with a lot of echo. They're like, yes! Everybody else hates it. But the over-acoustics, that just... It frees us. It's really bizarre. But it's also very like liberating to uh, to sing in something who give, helps you instead of yeah, where you get like a feedback you. of sound. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I was in a lot of like old churches where they have like yeah. ten seconds of uh, so after sound. It's, so far, <laughs> it's like wow. And when we played them, it's like we're gonna play very slow. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, everything is just mixing up, and you're like, oh my god. <laughs> it's really it's very good to practice with different acoustics. Yeah, it is. Them. Yeah. So to go back a little bit to student, like how is a good student for you? Was you were you a good student no. when you started? <laughs> Looking back, I think well, I was always very motivated and I was fearless. I you know I practice was I never practiced because I didn't feel I have I had to. I also didn't know how, so I just went and did it. And I um, I mean I, I I I prepared and I did all that, but I I I shouldn't say that, but I skipped all the theory classes and you know all that. So I don't think I was a good student. Looking back now, I probably, if I was a student now, I, well, I was a student actually until yeah, a couple of yes. weeks ago, right? But I would probably be in trouble. But for me, a good student, you know, what I'm looking for really is um, I'm not an academic teacher. I train performers. That's where my expertise is and that's where my passion is. So I'm really, when we have auditions, I'm looking for somebody who is willing to show themselves in whatever way. It's not always about the beauty of the sound. It's, I'm really much more interested in something genuine and something authentic and something, something that triggers something in me. And I, a student of mine said the other day, she said, you know, we have a class of cases. Each and every one of us is a case. And I never thought of it that way, but it's really, you know, everybody, that's what you will find that a lot of singers already have been to other places. They might also be already a bit older, like 25 or something, because they tried other things or they, yeah. uh, so that they, they have, they're looking already, looking back on, on a bit of their lives and they, so I want to hear that in their sound. And sometimes it might take a long time or a longer time. 
but I'm willing to to dedicate that time if I can if if I can pull that out of them. Mm-hmm. I think it's really worth it because that's what we need. We need true performers. We need people who are willing to show themselves, who sound. I mean, when you think of Kalas, you turn on the radio, you hear one note, you immediately know it's Kalas. Mm-hmm. It's not always beautiful, in in the sense of that it, it's clean and it's. It's always haunting. There is something about it that just really draws you in. This is what I'm in for. Mm-hmm. Also in my own singing, you know, I, I'm, my voice is dark and it's big and I went through all kinds of repertoire and I was an alto when I began and then I was a mezzo and now I am, yeah, a dramatic whatever. <laughs> and of course I'm trying to sing beautifully, but in my repertoire it's really about, you know, you see it on the pictures. It's I'm mostly on the floor, I'm rolling in the dirt, I'm in the blood, that's... Mm. Why I'm in opera. And sometimes, like, um, I also have a lot of people who's like, they don't like modern music. Mm-hmm. So they're like, no, I don't like it. And mm-hmm. they, why? Because it's, uh, it's so scary. And I was like, yeah, but art is more yeah. than beauty. It's also about yes. raw feelings. You yes. Know? I try to explain that <laughs> sometimes. Well, I mean, art, then they're looking for, like, uh, uh, what is it called? You know, when, when people imitate. It's not art. It's sort of like... A, Entertainment. Yes. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. No, but we're here to, I feel, I really feel that as an artist, you, because I said that as an artist, you find inspiration in anything, in a passing cloud, in a bird flying by, everything is connected. Sometimes there is a famous poem by Walt Whitman about algebra, where he says, you know, the, the, the pattern on the turtle's yeah. uh, shield yeah. is like music because it's two and two and two. It's, it's really fascinating. And if you allow yourself to be part of a larger scheme, of a larger dimension, I think that's when it becomes important. And this is, for me, where opera or symphonies go. Think of the great symphonies of Bruckner or of Mahler. It's larger than life. Mm. If you go, and, there's nothing wrong with, you know, going to magic flutes, beautiful music, just, mm. but you go home and you're happy. You don't go home happy after listening to Elektra or uh, uh, Seven Deadly Sins or, you know, there's something that is haunting. There should be an echo inside of you. And you said, in one of your podcasts, you said to tame your inner dragons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I call them the demons. Yeah. But you need to know them. You need to, once in a while, you need to open Pandora's box and also communicate with your dragons and your demons because they give depth. If life is only beautiful and happiness, in, if there's no darkness and if there's no unhappiness, we don't feel the happiness either. So That's it's okay. very important to have both sides of there's black and there's white, and there's death and there's life and that's life. So you handle your nervosity with um, dealing with them? Or... Yeah, I found the older I get, the more nervous I, I am. Okay. I really, also because the roles that I'm singing, I mean, I am the evening. You yeah. know, when I do Turandoto, when I do Elektra, it's me. Yeah. I can't hide, <laughs> you know. Um, and I found for myself, I find meditation to be very powerful because what it teaches us is that, well, to be in the moment, here and now, it teaches us that it's okay to let go because nothing is in control. It's an illusion to think yeah. we're a goal. I think that's very important. I'm not talking about technique. That's a trait. We learn that, we study that, we train that, right? But beyond that, things happen on stage that we cannot control. And the best thing I can do is to hand myself, to deliver myself to the situation and allow myself to react. And I also like the idea that sometimes we just sit in discomfort. As people, we talk now, we live in this this time and age where there's a lot of talking about wellness. 
yeah. and well-being and finding yourself and being true to yourself. Wonderful, lovely, but come on. I yeah. mean, you know, there's a lot of discomfort and it's discomfort. It's not pain. It's not misery. We're not, you know, in Syria or we're not sleeping. Like I saw this thing on TV today about camps, refugee camps in mm. France. Yeah. They're sleeping in tents. You know, the, 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 the temperatures are going below zero now. We are far from that. Yeah. It's just discomfort. Yeah. And it's okay to be dis in discomfort because that, again, makes us cherish the moments of joy and of comfort even more. Yeah. And so as an artist, as a human, as, as somebody who is trying to be in the world and be part of it and be connected to the world, I think that's just, you have to accept that. You have to embrace it. Yeah. So yes, you need to deal. So perspective pretty much is really important. Yeah, totally. Uh, meditation, do you do like some, like... I saw some apps, mm -hmm. meditation apps. Yeah. Do you have one? Yeah, I get, yeah, I found because sometimes it's, it's you know, you just want to do like a quick session and you need... So for guided med meditations, I have this thing, it's called... Uh, what is it called? It'll come back to me. Um, we will put it in the newsletter. Yeah, exactly. It will be a little secret. Yes. It's quite... to subscribe to the newsletter <laughs> yes. to get the follow -up. Yes, <laughs> good point. <laughs> Yeah, but it's really good with the uh, guided meditation. Yes. I also use that yeah. with sports psychologists mm -hmm. because I really like the sports psychologists. I, mm -hmm. I really trust them. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go with you guys <laughs> uh, because they're smart and they are so much developed. And it's not rocket science. And it's down to earth. Yeah. You know, you know, it's like you're trying to get from A to B in a certain way and there's no big... She, she, woo, woo, yeah. woo uh, <laughs> secret yeah, around, yeah, right? Yes. And it yeah. only needs to be uh, like five minutes. So, and you yes. can do it sitting in exactly. the train or biking. In the dressing room, even on the yeah. side of the stage. Absolutely, that's what I do. Yeah, yeah. and just breathing. Like I read this book where uh, like a jazz pianist, mm -hmm. he said that actually the only thing you have to do as a human is to breathe. So that's you know, what you should focus on. <laughs> when my students hear this, they're going to scream because this is exactly, <laughs> for us, breathing is everything. Yeah. Because breathing also is what, it's the rhythm of life and it connects body and soul, you know, the limbic system. Yeah. When you smell something, mm -hmm. I remember being a child walking to my grandmother's house. I don't know what detergent she used, but she's long gone. She passed mm -hmm. many years ago. And sometimes I walk into a place and I have that smell yeah. and it immediately transports me back. Right. So it's a very, very strong mean. And when you think about working with asthma patients or with panic patients, yeah. breathing is the bottom line in yoga, in meditation, in dealing with anxiety, in yeah. dealing with depression. So we think it's not complicated enough, therefore it doesn't work. It's like with, you know, everything that, that works needs to be expensive. It's not true. You just really need to experiment with it in time and not leave it to the last minute to... I always uh, feel like breathing mm -hmm. is like watering the roots on the tree. It is. Wonderful image. Because sometimes like we try to deal with these kind of problems and it's only the leaves. It's true. So like breathing for me, it's watering the roots. I'm going to steal that image. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know where I got it from, but I don't know, maybe it was the William Peace book. I read a lot about mm -hmm. books, mm -hmm. uh, about musicians and what they do. And I think it's super interesting. And I think like a little bit experienced that musicians wants to be alone. Yeah. And they don't go to concerts because they're yeah. afraid of listening to yes. each other. It's true. And it's the only way to actually get the image into your yeah. brain and the sound image that you want that you decide mm -hmm. to know who you mm -hmm. are is actually to know who everyone else is and I also like feel that I just want to know and open up that's also why I have this podcast yeah. because we can share each other's tips and learn from each other 
Uh, and I feel a little bit that people are afraid. Sometimes I also feel that maybe it's stupid to expect musicians to go to concerts because if we try to sell to ourselves, it will be a little bit counterproductive maybe because sometimes it's better to try to make people who actually have money to come to our concerts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, when you find out how that works, let me know. <laughs> yeah, no, but you, as we said earlier, if you you are your own product. And you have to position yourself in the market in order to do that. Yeah. You need to know what the market is. I have to admit, people who, who meet me, they will say you're very outgoing and you're extrovert and maybe. But I also have this very, very strong uh, need to withdraw. So it's true what you say. I have a hard time like getting up in the evening to go to concerts. I'd much rather stay at home and listen to jazz. But it's very important. And sometimes, once in a while, it also happens that I'm, I literally, I'm elevated by somebody else's performance. And it kind of gives me back my own spark. I get so like passionate about, you know, I'm so happy that this is what I can do and this is what I'm allowed to do. And so you really don't shut yourself off because we, as artists, we can't afford to live in a vacuum, as you say. Yeah. I also feel that it makes me less nervous when I saw someone else uh -huh. perform before me. Because then I was like, I sit there and just want them to perform good. Yeah. So then I'm like, why are they nervous? I'm uh -huh. so kind, I think. <laughs> and then when I self have, mm -hmm. myself have to go up on the stage and do the same, mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, but it's okay. I was there recently in the mm -hmm. audience. So it's okay, we will, we will manage it together. But isn't it funny that I find in general we are m much more kind to somebody else than we are to ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Right? It's also because we have this ego that everyone cares so much about us. Yes, I'm so <laughs> special. And you know, being special is wonderful, but it's yeah. also, I have this friend who's a psychiatrist. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> I actually have two friends who are psychiatrists. And one, she said to me once, you know, it's difficult to be a king because as a king, you don't have a weekend. Yeah. And it's true, you know, being special, wanting to be special is so energy consuming. Yeah. What's the point of it? Do your do your little thing, you know, you go and you row your boat. Yeah. And that's what you do. And so finding a sense of peace of mind and inner calm is so important. When I was 20, I didn't care and I didn't know. But now that I'm not 20 anymore, I, <laughs> it's... Um, 21. <clears throat> yes. Uh, I really find it's it's never too early to start rooting that to plant that seed of something that can be inside of me growing along with my instrument yeah that's really good advice i think it's also part of the perspective advice mm. i think we were a little bit into it already what but uh, i was thinking like if you could give some advice for uh, young students who are doing additions mm -hmm. like as a singer if you have <sighs> some tricks or <laughs> well there really are no tricks i think that there are some very old wisdoms that still work. One of them is sex cells. You know, do not... Opera card. <laughs> yeah, you, you know. So uh, it has to be tasteful in a strange way. <laughs> when it's, By strange way, I mean that, for example, usually when you audition and it's on the main stage, the stage will be higher than the audience. Yeah. So if your skirt is very short, mm. they will be looking up your skirt. Yeah. It's not comfortable for you. I, I do not want to see young singers on stage pulling down their skirt all the time. It's horrible. Mm. It's also not flattering. So choose a skirt that is just a tiny bit longer or a nice fitted pantsuit that will do the trick. Cleavage always works. Lipstick always works. Mm. Hair is a big thing. So, <laughs> so sex sells. That's one thing. The same is true for the guys, by the way. Yeah. 
you know, you want to be handsome as much as we want, you know, the audiences, maybe even more the people who are casting, want the singers to be a, a screen to project on. It's like being in the movies. So all the guys are supposed to be handsome and buff, and all the women are supposed to be at least curvy or very beautiful or stunning in some other way. So that's one thing to consider. The next thing is, do not expect the people you're auditioning for to know the repertoire. Also, do not necessarily expect them to have expertise in the instrument you're playing or you're singing. Mm. They might just be sitting there because yeah. it's tragic and it's sad, but that's the way it is. So don't choose the repertoire that you think they want to hear. Don't present what you think they want to see. Try to come with something that presents you. Yeah, good. Yes. There's no need to cover a wide variety of stuff. If you're good at something, stick to what you're good at. You know, I'm not a Mozart singer. I'm, uh, there are gazillions of people who can do it better. Why would I take a Mozart aria? Mm. So I come with my repertoire. Of course, being an older singer, it's easy to say because I've had time to find out. As a young singer, you still need the time. But, you know, we all, all of you out there who sing every day, who perform in little concerts or in big concerts or in performances, any experience counts. It's your experiences. You feel something before your teacher hears it. Do not take that lightly. It's really about experiencing your own instrument and becoming an expert for your own, for your own instrument. And by instrument, I mean the body and the soul and the mind. I really, I want to see people on stage. I do not want to see singing automats. I do not want to see machines. It doesn't interest me. I couldn't care less. Yeah, we put the computer and see. Yeah, <laughs> you know they have that. There was a time when they had these synthes- had these these keyboards yeah. that could uh, simulate orchestras, yeah. and the sound was amazing. Mm-hmm. But you, after a while, you know, there's no the human the manpower is yeah. missing. There is no spirit. There's no soul. Yeah. The vibrato is always the same. This we we're, we're gonna stop being human. Let's not go there. It's very dangerous. Yeah, because we want the human factor. What is art other than the human factor? Yeah. Oh, that's really good. I like that. So that's important. Did you do a lot of auditions? Like, do you know how many? Like, I, I read somewhere oh. that you have to do, like, as, as an instrumentalist, you have to do, like, around 150 before you get the job. But as a singer, I guess you have to do it all your life because it's always you do it all different. Well, you know, when you, after being in the business for a couple of years, you kind of, the people who whom you have worked with before, who enjoyed working with you, will hire you again. So there's a bit of a, Yeah. Uh, you know, automatism in that. But yeah, the auditioning never stops except when you're, I suppose, when you're really famous and you can just pick what yeah. you do. Um, so I've never counted the auditions. I, the only thing I can say, you know, I never finished school. I dropped out of school <laughs> and be, <laughs> uh, for numerous reasons. And then the first audition I did, I landed the job. There was no job. Yeah. They said, well, you can audition, and we, but we don't have a vacancy, and but they hired me anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's also being lucky, being in the right place at the right time and just, you know, being the right person. Maybe try even though there is nothing. Exactly. You just go and you do it and somebody might hear you. That The same thing is true for competitions. Yeah. Do not go, do not enter competitions to win. Enter competitions to go and perform. Somebody will hear you and might just... Remember you and hire you, right? Yeah. Competitions are about name dropping. It's really, I don't want to say it's a waste of time, but, it, you know. Uh, so, yeah, you, I don't know how many auditions, a lot. But you had a scholarship when you studied, 
I read some. Yeah, but yes, well, in America, you know, being a European citizen, I had to pay out of state tuition, uh, which was outrageous, quite a. Yeah, I can't of, imagine. Like the. Even the, back then. Yes, even back then. And of course, living in America without a green card, I wasn't allowed to work. Yeah. So, yes, I had this the Jesse Norman scholarship, actually. Yeah. Which why did you go into America? From the because, <laughs> well, I auditioned for numerous German conservatories yeah. and they all failed me. They said, oh, yeah, the voice is really interesting, but it sounds so dark and you sound so grown up and there's so much vibration in the voice. Yeah. And some of you out there will recognize those yeah. words. It sounds like good things. <laughs> well, you know, it's <laughs> so nobody wanted to. And then I, I was accepted to Dusseldorf. Mm-hmm. And I started my studies there, and then I was with a quite a renowned teacher, and I kept asking questions because mm-hmm. it just didn't feel right. And then they kindly asked me not to return and not to. Okay. So that was, and then I called. You know, I was very, I was quite naive. I was like eighteen, and then I I called a theater and I said, "Well, I want to be a singer. How do I go about that?" And they thought it was really funny, and they said, "Well, why don't you come by?" And they were about to do a production of Trovatore by Verdi. And they said, you can you can come and like sit in the rehearsals and just observe everything. And the gentleman who was the director is now a famous stage director, Keith Warner. Yeah. And uh, we kind of clicked and I translated for him. And the lady who sang the mezzo role, she came up to me. She said, you, I was really fat back then, even fatter than now. And she said, well, you look like a singer. Do you sing? Mm. Why don't you sing for me? And she recorded it and sent it to her teacher in California. Mm. And then they offered me the scholarship. So it, yeah, it just all, you know. Opportunity that you yes, made Yes, and I just, you know, and now people say quite often, they say, oh, you, you were so young and you just went to America. I mean, it never crossed my mind not to go. I was fearless okay, so, then, yeah. right? So I went for four years and it really, I, it changed my life. It changed my singing. It changed my life. It changed my perspective of the world. Yeah. So, yeah. I wouldn't want to miss that. And do you, can you describe how America is different from like Europe? Well, you have to keep in mind, this was before 9-11. Yeah. So um, back then, I experienced a lot of trust. You know, I'm German. And being German also means that when I uh, finished school, graduated from school, and I said, oh, I'm going to be an opera singer. Everyone was like, yeah, she's going to be an opera singer. <laughs> she thinks she's so fantastic. Then I went to America. And... I didn't get any of that. It was like, oh, you you came all the way and you're here and wow, and is there anything I can do for you? People gave me the keys to their cars. They gave me the the codes to their to their houses. I yeah. stayed at somebody's house in Beverly Hills without money for months. You know, I there was a lot of trust. Also, I found that the idea of the American dream, mm. if you have a good idea and if you're determined, if you're willing to put in the work, back then it could yeah. still work. I recall I went back Actually, I went to California for a concert 9-11 in October Mm. of that year. And I was shocked because the nation really was shaken, of course, by the the incident itself, but also that huge trust and that huge openness that I had experienced before was not there anymore. And I've been back a couple of times since, and we have to keep in mind the president is not the people. The people who live there are completely different. Um, But uh, in general, they're very open. Some people say they're superficial. But you know what? If if wishing you a good day and, and, uh, you know, means being superficial, I'll have that any time over a grumpy, grouchy (laughs) German outlook. Right. So that's. Yeah, I think I also experience that like sometimes when I see people here mm-hmm. and I see a lot of very uh, people who did a lot like 
good experience mm-hmm. and they did a lot out of nothing. And there are some Canadians here in Maastricht, for example, who did a lot out of like, they just did stuff. Yeah. And I really loved it. Uh-huh. But I actually had the same experience when I came from Sweden to yeah. the Netherlands. Uh-huh. Because in Sweden, we have something called the, the Jante law. Uh-huh. And it's that law that you should never think that you're better than someone else. Uh-huh. So every time I tried to do something, they were like, yeah, but you know, that's very difficult. And maybe you will fail. And I had like, I actually had a cello teacher. First time I said I want to be a cellist, he said, yeah, don't come to me when your uh, life goes to hell. And I was like, what is that? I was like 16. I was like, this kind of pessimist is about life. But here in the Netherlands, I feel that people are more like, it's like facts. So if I had like, okay, I want to do this. Okay, do that. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't mm-hmm. really attack you personally. Mm-hmm. It's my experience so yeah. far. But I, uh, maybe I was lucky. But they don't have the gentle law here the same. Because you are more, like, uh, direct and, like, okay, if you want to do it, do it. Mm-hmm. They are more, like, uh, more business-minded. Mm-hmm. And like, if it's a good idea that you can... Oh, they have a lot of small business mm-hmm. here. So maybe, maybe. No, I also, th- I, I also feel that way. And I also think that, as you said, you, you, your tele-teacher said, you know, don't come to, running to me when your life goes to hell. I said earlier that coping mechanisms, I, sh- I don't want to pass on my mechanisms to my students. Yeah. As a teacher, me, I don't know about anybody else, just me. I feel that I need to be constantly addressing my own issues in order not to transfer my unresolved issues yeah. onto my students. Being disappointed in life and being disappointed in the fact that nobody ever came to the Swedish woods and discovered you as a cellist, right? Doesn't mean that the same thing needs to happen to your student. It also doesn't mean that you should wish for that to happen. That is a difficult thing, you know, to get your ego out of the way in general and to really just work and wish for the best in everybody and everything. Yeah. And I wish that that's, I I would like to live that way. I'm trying to, (laughs) I'm trying to. I feel that singers are quite good at, because you said uh, no one discovers you in the woods, and I really think that's a really important thing, mm. because I look a lot at what singing does, and mm-hmm. I try to like learn from them, because I think they are very good at being um, existing, you know, mm-hmm. because no one will find you in the practice mm-hmm. room, so you have to like offer people yourself, like, I'm here, I can do it, like, because if they don't know you, they exist, it's very hard to ask you. But I mean, you're like the example of, of really making people know that you're there. Before I met you, no, really, before I met you in person, I mean, I had read your name, like, you know, the Swedish cellist. I, I knew about you. So when you mailed me, I knew immediately who you were. Yes. yes. So this is something, you know, it, talent is one thing. But people always say I look like a singer. You do. And you also have the something about you that is very generous and very open and very, that is, you know, I could easily imagine that you, you, you're a singer. <laughs> oh, career switch, career switch. <laughs> My first cello professor at the conservatorium was, he's a principal cellist of Malmö Symphony, uh-huh. but he's a, a Danish and he lives in Copenhagen and he's married to an opera singer. And the Who first, she? uh, his name is Hanna Jort. And she's uh, teaching in, uh, in Copenhagen, okay. in the conservatory. You know, I lived in Copenhagen. Yeah, right? I, I worked there. In the opera. <laughs> yeah, We're going to talk about that also. Yeah, so we can tell yeah. a dansk. But the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But the first time she saw me, she was like looking at my mm-hmm. cheekbones. Yes. She was like, yeah. um, maybe you could sing, Petronella. Also in the torso. <laughs> you know, you're very, it's a very, usually the a singer's body is never really, hardly, oh, ever. Yeah. I have a very square body. Actually. It's very good. It's what we call a newspaper. Very big. Yeah. <laughs> Shoulders. Yeah. yeah. Shoulders. Yeah. Oh, Skinny legs. Good. Yeah, it's very good. That's good. Yeah. So well, if you I ever consider, like, you know, you know how to I sing occasionally. <laughs> I always make a joke that I say that I sing when people pay me. 
Don't we all? <laughs> but I, uh, I did the vignette myself a little bit. I, I should do it more, but it's just, yeah, Mr. Shallow is a big attention. Thank do they you. tell you, as a string player, to, to listen to the legato of the singers? Yeah, they do. Because they tell us to listen to the legato of the, you know, my teacher, up to this day, she's 85 now, she says, you're a cello. Sing like a cello, you know, so there's a lot of parallels, there's a lot of... Well, they tell us to breathe like a singer mm -hmm. or uh, a wind player, mm -hmm. because the problem with cellists is that we can continue forever. So sometimes we need to breathe and make the phrases, yeah. stop the phrases yeah. sometimes, not instead of continue, it's like, uh, you know, it can be sometimes that we strangle the listener, yeah, yeah, yeah. because they never get air. Yeah. So that uh, is something that I, I heard, like, you have to breathe, you have to breathe. <laughs> Actually, I got refused from one conservatorium because one of the teachers thought I didn't breathe enough when I played. Uh -huh. So I really had to look into that. So that oh, was interesting. Good. Yeah, yeah. he told me that, but I was also like, huh, I didn't get in because I didn't breathe. <laughs> Wait <laughs> <I'm> a second. <laughs> I'm not here to breathe, I'm here yeah. to play shallow. But um, yeah, so I, I tried to think about that. But yeah, it's... Um, I even forgot what we were talking about. <laughs> it's the best one that happens. <laughs> you gave me some compliments. Now I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh maybe. Now it's time. Actually, I had uh, a lot of friends who um, had to wait until they were older because mm. they were singing. Mm. And uh, a lot of teachers said, no, you just have to wait. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're not uh, there yet. And I had like um, a friend, he sings a lot of Wagner. He's a Wagner tenor. Mm. Actually in Hamburg, he does a lot of things in Hamburg. And he, he was like, no, I have to wait. And when he was like, finally like 35, yeah. he's like, yes, it's yeah, time. This is what know? I was talking about. For yeah. this kind of repertoire, well, these kind of voices, they're late bloomers. You yeah. know? When a lyric or a light, like a soubrette, a light, light, light soprano is almost done with her career. This yeah. is where other voices start yeah. really living. Yeah, it's... Yeah. So it's, um, so uh, tell me a little bit how it is to be a dramatic soprano. Like you have uh, experience of that. Like, do you have tips to the dramatics out there? Again, from my own experience. I heard a lot when I was younger. I heard a lot. Why don't you sing lighter repertoire? Why don't you, you know, you should include some Mozart and sing lighter repertoire. And why don't you brighten the sound? And I did all that. I tried all that. And it almost killed me vocally. Mm -hmm. So I would like to come back to the idea of nature. You know, if you are, you, I don't know if you guys out there know what a Clydesdale horse is. The Clydesdale horses are the horses that pull the, oh, yeah. the big, the big ones. like in New York, the, the uh, brewery carts. Like the, the Adender here. Yes, yeah. the cold-blooded horses with mm. the big hooves and the big, they're yeah. just big horses. And hard from the asses. Exactly, yeah. they just mm. have... So the way they move, they're very powerful and mm. they're majestic, but the way they move is slow mm. and majestic. How do you tell a Clydesdale horse to be a pony for a while? Yeah. Why don't you, you know, just behave like a pony until you're grown yeah. Clydesdale? That's not how it works. Mm. So being a dramatic voice, I mean, that's not a choice you make. That's mm. nature. You really have to accept and embrace the dimension of your voice. When other voices, smaller voices, will already sound pretty, you, will, you might still be sounding like a foghorn. Mm. That's the way it is. Embrace it. And don't be impatient, because that's what we do. You know, in former times, a Helden tenor would sing baritone for 10 years before he became a tenor. Doesn't happen anymore. Why not? Because nobody has the time anymore. I became a dramatic soprano, I mean, in my mid-40s. Not before that. So, and uh, you really, it's like a tree. You're an oak tree. You're not a little, you're not a sunflower for one season. And it's difficult when you're young because you might find that you have nowhere to go and you have no place to be and 
Okay, but be aware you're not alone and be proud to be part of the tradition of Clydesdale horses. Yeah. It's a dying species. Mm. Be proud to be part of a dying species because we might just revive it yeah. and it would be fantastic. My grandfather, he bred these big horses a lot. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it was like the master with the horse. So that's really cool. Uh, we have some advice for that. I actually can re- relate to it mm-hmm. a lot because mm-hmm. I have I'm a Wagner cellist. Yay! <laughs> so play... Beto Ranella, we need to you know come yeah. up with a project. Yes, because I play very loud, and I always had like my teachers was like, "Who is playing the third? And I was like, "Yeah, it's me." Like even when I was the first uh, year student in the conservatorium, I could play over the, all of the other people, <laughs> and it was always my problem. And I always like when I play Haydn and Mozart, they are like, "Petronella, why do you sound like an elephant?" And I'm like, oh. "Actually, to d- deal with that problem, mm-hmm. I started to dance belly dancing okay. and salsa because yeah. I didn't have that in my personality because uh, I always." But this is crucial. You say you trained basically personality traits you as a person found it first before you could transfer it or allow it to find access into your instrument to everybody out there i mean you know when we're talking about colors when we're talking about flexibility it might be something in your thinking it might be something in your breathing it might be something in your body to address before you address the result yeah that's super that's very interesting i couldn't play hide and seek and if you can't play hide and see, you are dead as mm-hmm. a cellist. <laughs> so I, I started belly dancing because mm-hmm. I was this Thai boxer girl who mm-hmm. always trained Thai boxing three times a week. And uh-huh. like, I'm going to fight you. I was like the worst in the in the club. <laughs> I was fighting these big guys uh-huh. and my trainer was so pissed off me because I'm quite tall and I'm heavy. So I was just over, all over him. And oh, that's I never, so cool. I never backed down. <laughs> and he was like, oh, this is a Swedish girl. She's crazy. <laughs> because he was in, in Denmark. Uh, so they called me the Viking. The Viking. I love that. Uh, but it's not very good for Haydn. So yeah. I had to start salsa and learn how to be like feminine. And it's really good to go in salsa because it's really this macho culture where mm-hmm. the woman is the woman, mm-hmm. really the yeah. woman. So I really had to teach myself that and it was really good. And after like half a year with this dance training, I could play Haydn like rah, like a smack, wow. you know. And then I found like that Mozart is like champagne. So I was like, okay, Mozart is champagne. It's champagne, I can play it. Okay, it's okay. So it, it was in my personality, but yeah. I, I really think this music therapy is also like everything I see with my students, they uh-huh. struggle with some stuff and it's always in the personality. So it's like, I want to send them to a psychology sometime. And I'm like, yeah, but look, this is, I think, one of the reasons why music also is so important, even if you don't aspire to be a musician. Because it, you, you have to, it keeps, besides all the technical aspects that it, it you know, the, the, the brain hemispheres have to, to collaborate and all that, you really, it challenges also your human, your social skills, your hu- emotional skills, your human, your, your attitude, your behavior. This is really, really important. Um, and I wonder if, you know, we're talking about flexibility. We're also talking about strength. We're talking about resilience. We're talking about being able to listen to others, leading at times. That's all also something that we we need in everyday life, that we need as a child, we need as a grown-up, in order to be a sociable human being, right? Yeah. So it's not like music is this very uh, sort of esoterical and elite thing to do. I think it should be a, a part of yeah. uh, basic education. Yeah, music for everyone. Music for everyone. Hallelujah. Yeah. It's my slogan for, my, for the school is uh, music for you masters. Come as you are, become what you want. 
That's super. It's a good slogan. Yeah, it's super slogan. <laughs> My slogan I stole from Miss Piggy. Oh. Yeah, it's if life is a stage, I want better lighting. Yeah. No. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, sometimes it's very bad light. Uh, especially the conservatoriums. <laughs> well, I wanted to talk to you about Electra. Oh. Of course. Uh, I've been oh, okay, all excited. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about this project. It's a research you've been doing. Well, actually, what, yes. But about, it's from Strauss. Uh, yeah, it's Strauss. Like It's a one-act opera. It's quite short, actually, but it's a huge, long role because you're on stage all the time. Electra has been sort of like a... Like a ghost in my life. I always thought as a young singer, oh, if I could, you know, there's in the beginning of Electra, there's five singers who played like the servants. Yeah. And back then I was a servant and I was in, the, in a production and I observed the whole production. I thought, oh, if one day I could do this, this would be fantastic. But it never, I never really thought it would happen. So I've been, for a number of years, I've been getting on people's nerves, you know, mm. like, oh, if you, you know, Electra. And then it actually happened. Mm. And uh, yes, I did my master at Master's Conservatory and I was looking into artistic research and I thought, what could I research? What is artistic? What is relevant? What is personal? And it became very clear that Electra, the production, and Electra, the artistic research should become one. Yeah. And it did. So I did the production. I prepared for two years for the role. And we started rehearsals December 27th last year and opened February 8th with 13 performances. Oh. So the whole process of performing and rehearsing Electra went parallel to my artistic research. And writing, oh my God. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I, I really, you know, so far my favorite role was Parsifal, Skundri yeah. and Parsifal. I really love doing that. But I have to say Electra, it's really scary and it's huge and you're exhausted afterwards. But you feel, so, I could start crying right now. Mm. You feel so alive because you cannot do it half-heartedly. You have to put your every cell into it. Mm. And it's fantastic. I think this is, yeah, if my life would end with this role, yeah. it would have been worth it. Yeah. Really. And why did you decide to do a master's? <laughs> because I didn't have one. Well... As a, as a professor here, I, I'm also asked to assess mm. the research uh -huh. so it was of my to students. to be able to help the students. Yeah, and I thought, it, I mean, it would make sense to go through the process myself in mm. order, you know, to know what is required. And I went through the process yeah. uh, with my dear research coach, Rick Bastians. Yeah, yes, yeah! <laughs> uh, who was a huge help. And also, I mean, he kicked my behind numerous times. Thank you for that. Um, it was a very... The whole process, the whole journey was very rich and it gave a lot to me. And I think I will be a better teacher and I will be a better assessor. I really feel that. Besides, I learned a lot about myself. So maybe it's a good tip for people out there who are actually like already in the career to do a master. Why not? If you are... Or do in, a research, maybe. Oh, do, I, I think that's it. You know, the yeah. research... The artist, we all do artistic research all the time. When you say, you know, you buy a rabbit and you, you yeah. start reading about it, that's artistic. That's yeah. research. The difference when you do a master is that you have to document your research. Yeah. Right. Which can be kind of tricky. But it's also mentally, intellectually really challenging. Your creativity, since Master's Conservatory really changed, they really innovated. Is that the word? Well, they rejuvenated the process of, of research. It's yeah. no longer artistic research where you come up with a thesis and then you have to prove it. 
it's artistic research so you might end up with nothing mm -hmm. but the whole point is to ask yourself a question and to try to find answers for yourself yeah. so this is invites growth i really feel that if you're in a performing career already there's no need to do a master research but artistic research i think yeah. is very valuable it's, i think i'm really impressed of the way they do it in Maastricht mm -hmm. because i've been around in some conservatoriums mm -hmm. around and really like a lot of conservatoriums have no clue what they are doing <laughs> and a lot of them are just starting mm. so actually like master's conservatorium could have like some uh, they should have a workshop for the other conservatoriums sometimes yes you know master's really... is, is i think the first one or one of the first ones the first school who actually goes down that alley so we are there's not a lot of um, the, the road has not been carved yet no. it's up to us to carve it and i would like to encourage all the students Yes, it will be a lot of work, but you all have something that you're passionate about. Find a topic that you're really passionate about. You mm. will love it. Otherwise, you'll spend a lot of time with something you, you hate. Um, and then it will be worth your time. It will be worth your effort. Don't be afraid of the research. Start in time. Start early. Find yourself a good research coach mm. and go for it. I did my research also recently. Mm. I did about a theater project I did in um, Tonil Group here in Maastricht. Oh, how like, super. Yeah, we were there one month doing mm. a project with the uh, Via Sud. Like, they give us a bunch of opportunities mm -hmm. to be in the mm -hmm. Tonil Hall. Like, it's super. a beautiful professional yeah. theater yeah. for one month, uh, seven different art forms. Do what you want. And, and a budget was to the heavens, you know. So it was really like, okay. So then I just wrote about that because it was different, different like art forms it was very uh, challenging yeah. because the dancers and the shallows like me and the musicians we were like yeah okay let's do things and then the actors and the people who works with superficial art they are like let's feel the space and, <laughs> and let's talk to each other and see let's read a book maybe and like they have a totally yeah. different approach and yeah. like as a musician it's like yes. one concert next concert yeah. you know time is a completely different factor yeah. but also it makes sense if you think about it because as musicians Musicians were used to live in the timing of somebody else. Yeah. You're sticking, you have to stick to the timing of a composer. Yeah. As an actor, you know, yeah. you can just come up with your own timing, yeah. which is... They do. A lot of freedom, but also some, some sort of... Yeah, it can be... What is the... Not insecurity. It can be in instability, right? Yeah. It can create... Yeah, but how exciting. It was, it was cool. I would wish for more like that. This collaboration between the different... Instruments and the different art forms, and I would love to have more of that. It's super cool. It's difficult. Yeah. Not without pain, I would say. Yeah, 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 It's yeah. really, but because of that, it really makes me realize how much we need it. And I actually realized how much we need to learn how to work together with other people yeah. in the conservatorium because we need actually courses in how to work with other people. Because we don't know that, like, so many quartets fighting with each other, teachers fighting with each other. Everyone is fighting, actually, occasionally, and that's such a pity. Like, we need a teamwork uh, course. Like. Well, it comes back to the ego thing, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, we're not teaching the Bible. No. There is no ultimate truth. We're all, you know, passengers on this big ride that is life. And uh, it would be so fantastic to actually have more space to experiment. I have a master's student who is part, as, uh, as part of the EOA, mm -hmm. the European Opera Academy, she's in Cardiff at the moment. Cool. And uh, she wrote me recently that one of the things that is most striking to her in Cardiff is that teachers there encourage the students to fail. They say, don't be afraid 
to fail. Don't be afraid to struggle. I think that is so valuable, but you yeah. need to, there needs to be space for failure. There yeah. needs to be space to just try things. Yeah. And that also would include if I, we were living in a perfect world, you know, more work with, for singers, with conductors, with yeah. orchestra. I know it's all about money. I know that. But there is money in the world. We just have to give it to the right people. Ta-da! <laughs> yes. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, we are searching for money. Yes. <laughs> Anybody. <laughs> Anyone. Personal message. It's my account number. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> In Sweden, we have this app called Swish, where you can swish money. It's very good. <laughs> we need it in Europe. Yeah, but it's also like... We need collaboration and also we learn so much by trying and error. Yes. And in school we actually there to learn, so we shouldn't be uh, already professional when yeah. we are there. I agree, totally. And sometimes I feel that also, like I saw some documentaries from normal schools, but they don't teach only music. Uh, they say that the most important thing when you're a teacher is to have a relationship with your students so they can show uh, their weaknesses because yeah. if they can show you the weaknesses yeah. you can deal with the weaknesses yes. and make I the students totally. strong and sometimes I feel that the teacher wants you only to show the good things mm -hmm. and then it's very hard to develop your mm -hmm. weak well to find out what your weakness yeah. might be and sometimes a weakness is you know if we're talking about flexibility and thinking and in body and in, in, in also in the playing or the singing you know that flexibility at times can feel like weakness so in order to find balance in anything, we need to also explore the extremes. Yeah. And you can only do that. Think about the way children learn to walk. They get up, they yeah. take two steps, they fall. They get up, they take two steps, they fall. And we, we don't feel that we can do that anymore. But we should because it's, you know, Rick Bastians always says, why do we music the way we music? Mm. And we play music. Where is the playfulness? Yeah. It's we we forget about it everything becomes really serious yeah. and it is serious but where can we experiment if not in school and i also think as a student you asked me earlier what for me what i think is a good student i want students to ask questions if something feels odd if something doesn't make sense i want them to say you know it doesn't make sense can you explain Hmm. I will find time. I will find words. I will look into it. Yeah. But you know, I it's sometimes it's good to sort of drill a bit and go. Yeah. You know, why is it and how is it? So yes, let's make school a playground. Yeah. Again, I think it's really good uh, advice. I'll come in my for in both my play tomorrow. <laughs> That's really good. I will also put it in my school. And uh -huh. I, will, I will remember it. And um, yeah, I have some questions from our listeners. listeners. Yeah, I got a lot of mail oh today. <laughs> so, and they were really good questions, actually. I'm going to start with them. Uh, there was one sing uh, singer. <laughs> I, I really already gave it up who it was, maybe. But uh, they say, uh, what warming up exercises do you do? Do you uh -huh. have anything good to keep the voice in shape? Well, again, that's very personal. Mm. But for me, uh, you know, warming up the voice really means warming up the body. Yeah. So I'm a firm believer. I have my routine of breathing exercises. I have my routine of stretching of body exercises that are intertwined. So the breathing and the stretching goes hand in hand. And when I was a young singer, I never feel that, felt I needed to warm up. Now that I'm older, I really feel that I need the warm up because it kind of, it's not about checking if the voice works. It's about the, the fine tuning of the muscles. Yeah. And as singers, we depend so much on the breath and on the flow of the breath. 
that I feel like I need to warm up the breath. I'm really... So uh, whoever that singer was, feel free to contact me. Mm -hmm. I'll be happy to, you know... <laughs> Give some. Uh, yes, we can also come up with a breathing workshop or a body work uh, workshop. Do you do any sports? Like uh, Yes. Oh, yeah. I do. I go to the gym. I work out. I do um, cardio and I also do uh, weightlifting okay. to a certain extent. But it helps me to, you know, in singing, we also deal with body resistance and with breath resistance. Yeah. So I'm just like you, you when you were talking about the Thai, the kickboxing. Yeah. I'm a strength person when I when I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very good with when I when I feel that I'm something's hurting. Yeah. I feel that now it's yeah. working. But I'm not good at like long distance running and stuff. So yeah. this is something that I need to do. So I do cardio mm -hmm. in order to build up the stamina yeah. and the flexibility. And I think this is something everybody needs to find out individually. What is it they need? Yeah. But keeping the voice in shape really means being in touch with your breath and keeping the muscles flexible. A stiffness in the muscle will result in a stiffness in the breath, will result in a stiffness of the sound. And yeah. when the sound is stiff, you're set up for disaster. So breathe. Breathe, yes. <laughs> okay, so we have another one. This is a little bit more complicated. It's like, why are singers put in a different category than instruments? I think uh, this person means like that they always say like music theater or like opera. And it's like they're always put in another box. But we, we talked quite a lot about mm. that. Why they are, it's because they have the instrument inside. Yeah, and yes, I think they have the instrument inside and they're kind of... Singers are like radios. They have to be like radios. We have these, we need these very strong antennas mm -hmm. that kind of go like, they're like seismographs, right? You really need to sort of check and be in touch with. At the same time, it's very difficult to turn off those mm -hmm. antennas at times. So maybe sometimes that makes us a bit edgy. Yeah. And there are people who kind of nourish that and become very neurotic. A singer should be grounded. He should not, he, she, it should not be neurotic. But, you know, sometimes we can't help it. And then on the other side, I find that it's actually the other people who are putting us into boxes because we have the saying or there is the saying that, well, she's not a singer. She's, she's not a musician. She's a singer. Mm. Sometimes there is some truth to that, you know, because we're busy doing other things or like looking into other things. But at the same time, It's like dogs and cats. We coexist and we need to understand the language of the other or the yeah. needs of the other ones. Yeah. If singers were taught early on what the needs of an orchestra. I mean, if you've been or like look at a, an accompanist. When I do opera productions, the poor guy sits for four hours and yeah. plays Electra. Yeah. That's a tremendous job yeah. to do physically as well as mentally. Do we ever consider that? Do we ever go and say, you know what, your playing made a difference for me today? Mm. So it's about building up conscience and therefore building up consideration yeah. for the other people involved. If a singer has a free sound, the orchestra will have a freer sound. If the orchestra has a generous sound, a singer might be encouraged to release the sound. It, it's all connected. So let's, we're not in different boxes. We're just yeah. different species or different different uh, genres of the same yeah. species but i think also like maybe instrumentalists should be a little bit more like singers like really think through their things yeah uh, because sometimes i feel that they on only play what's written uh -huh. and they don't really make a story out of it i i always try to do that because mm -hmm. it inspires me but mm -hmm. um a singer really have to tell a story yeah. Because if they don't, the audience will be like, oh, that was a bad singer. Exactly. Because uh, exactly. she said that she loved him, but she looked like she was... Yeah. Uh, bored out of her yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah. Thinking exactly. about him. 
I also think it helps us with the if I play a beautiful passage, if yeah. I imagine that I'm in love, like my teacher always says, "You be smiling, leave <laughs> to, to like every phrase I ever made, mm-hmm. uh, just to make me feel something. Yes, and sometimes musicians can like instrumentalists can be mechanic because we are just playing an instrument or using it as an yeah as an instrument. And we not should as remember what the root of sound is. Yeah. I think the root of sound is a need or a direction, a, a, a an, int- an intention. Yeah. You know, when you look at babies, yeah. they why do they start screaming? Because they have a need. Because yeah. they are, you know, and this is the root of sound. So no sound is in the world just for the sake of sound. It always carries a meaning. Yeah. But as professional musicians, we sometimes forget. We get caught up in you know. Oh, this is it's. We, we also rely a lot on just the tradition. You know, it has been done like this. The composer composed it like this. And I think I tonight I'm going to call Brahms in heaven and he's going to explain to me. Sometimes it's about, you know, finding an interpretation means finding it in you somehow. Mm. How? Nobody cares. But if you want to exist on the market, you have to kind of re- think of Madonna. Think of... She kind of yeah. invented herself, a prince, yeah. invented herself again and again. Yeah. Maybe that's what we need to do as well. Yeah, be a little bit flexible. Yeah, yes, <laughs> and daring, yeah. Okay, we have another one. Which direct then, direction do you think opera is going to in the future? Uh, are we going to survive in our, your eyes? It's very dramatic. That depends on you out there. <laughs> well, what can opera do for us? For audiences, for people. Opera can allow us to participate in huge emotions without really endangering ourselves emotionally. So maybe you're a dentist and you've been in the dentist's office all day and in the evening you go to see Bohème and you're really a tough guy and you run a business and in the end when Mimi dies in Bohème and this music starts and this life ends Maybe that gives you for a brief moment the opportunity to feel that hurt and to feel that pain without having tragedy in your own life. So on a very small scale, opera allows us to be part of a larger scheme, to be part of a larger emotional scheme, to be part of a larger emotional dimension. But then we as singers and we as performers, as instrumentalists, We have to offer that. We have to invite people into our realm. Mm. If we can make that happen, then there is a chance. Think of, I don't know, you guys, I mean, we're in Maastricht. There's André Rieu. He fills these huge halls all over the world. Why? Because he caters to a certain need of people. You know, we're not discussing musical taste here or or, or a musical genre. There is something in his music that speaks to people. And if you can do that in whatever way, you will be needed. It's as simple as that. So if you rely on mechanics, we'll die, you know, we'll die. Mm. I think also the open up thing is very important Mm -hmm. because if people know you, they Mm -hmm. will most likely like you. I wanted to ask if you have a tip, like uh, if you're a person, we have a listener out there who's like, oh, I want to start listening to opera. Where should they start? Because there's so much Ooh. out there. Yeah. They have a listener tip. I think it's, very, again, it's very personal. But for me, I think a very good beginner's opera is Carmen. Carmen, yeah. Because the story makes sense. The music is catchy. Yeah. <laughs> it has catchy tunes. 
On the other hand, I also think that, for example, uh, Wagner's Rheingold, yeah. you know, the opening sequence of Rheingold is so suggestive and so colorful and so beautiful. If you can spare 10 minutes to just listen to the opening of the water of the Rhine flowing in the music, yeah. you know, it, you don't, there's not a lot of, you don't need a lot of intellectual uh, preparation. Just some time and the willingness to deliver or to hand yourself over to the music. Yeah, I think Carmen is a good one. I uh, also think Puccini is fantastic. I think Puccini mm. is just so rich and so, like, Bohème is a great piece. Yeah. Oh, I, I just love opera. I just, there are so many people. We will put this in the newsletter. <laughs> yes. Some extra tips, maybe. You Possibly. won't know yes. until you subscribe. <laughs> uh, great. So we also have uh, one uh, a very serious question here from the from the listen. It's like, what is the worst mistake you can do as a singer? Like, what is the big no no? Like, if you do it, your career will end. Hmm. You know, all kinds of things happen. I can't think of the one thing that will end everything. Of course, the one thing that will end everything is if you mistreat your instrument in such a way that you cannot go on. I have had colleagues, I had a, a dear tenor colleague who was a very good singer, who kind of, he in a performance of Tristan, mm. the curtain has to had to fall because he couldn't go on vocally. He just oh. couldn't go on. Yeah. And he never recovered from that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you... I think, I, I keep repeating myself, but I do because I think it is so important. Be in touch with your instrument. Be in touch with your system. If you feel warning signs, do take them seriously. Go find help. There are people who can help you. Go see teachers, go see... It's not, you know, the voice is not a, a fragile instrument. It's a very strong, it's a very robust thing yeah. if you use it according to nature. But it's not meant to be artificial. Art and artificiality are two different things. So I think the worst thing for a singer in my eyes is to mistreat your instrument by abusing it, by being artificial and trying to... One of the things that I see again and again is singers trying to sing with a different voice. Mm. You know, you and I, we both have low speaking voices. Yeah. So would it be natural for us to sing very high pitch? No, I don't think Maybe, maybe said, after, oh, no, you know, no, but no, no, no. yeah. <laughs> so consider that, you know, mm. I mean, nature dictates if you have a shoe size, if your foot is size 41, but you like shoes that are 39, yeah. is it going to work maybe for one evening, but not for 30 years? But, you know, to, I, just consider that. No, so I, I just thought, no, maybe if you backstop people at some point, mm. they will stab you to death Always. as well. Yeah. But that's, unfortunately, that's, uh, you know, in the business, that's, yeah. that happens. This whole uh, Me Too discussion, yeah. unfortunately, that has been a reality. Yeah, I had uh, a lot of uh, opera singing come forward yeah. in oh, Sweden yeah. that said that the conductors were like oh. hitting on them so yes. much and if they didn't sleep with the conductor, they will lose the role. So they had to bring their husbands on the tours. And... It's very difficult because in, in opera, you know, there is, a, there is an artificial uh, kind of intimacy. Like, for example, let's say, concrete story. I did a, a gala performance of Turandot mm. and... They brought in a guest tenor. It was Jose Cura, who's quite mm. famous. And he's a very attractive man. We had one rehearsal together. And the staging was like, we 
basically he had to lie on top of me on a bed. Well, he did. Mm. And I didn't mind because it's the staging and I'm the kind of person that, I mean, why would you want to play it if you can do it? But you, it's, it's difficult to draw a line. It's very touchy because you have to be physically close. So you as a, as a singer, as a female singer, or possibly also as a male singer, you need to define, define your boundaries before you encounter the other person. Mm. There will be flirting. There will be hitting on you. I also flirt. I enjoy it tremendously. But you have to know where to draw the line. Yeah. Um, and another thing I have to say is, if you are very sensitive to this kind of thing, it will be very difficult to work in theater. Yeah. Not every attempt of flirtation means that it's abuse. Yeah. It's, you know, it is very difficult. Yeah. Very personal, just be aware. It might happen to you. You can draw a line. And you also are challenged to be open in, in a certain... It's acting. We're stage performers. Yeah. That's what we do. And it's also written in some contracts, I think. I saw in some contract it was written that you have to shower on the same day as the performance because oh. you're going to be very close to people and they are very smelly. Oh. oh, I, you know, I wish I had a couple of partners where, you know, you wouldn't believe the things that happened to you. So you're like in a love scene with somebody and they had like garlic and onions before. It's, you, you want to do every kind of thing, but not that... I, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I will insist next time. <laughs> yeah, but I saw in the contract, okay. actually, I also signed one contract like that, that you have to shower in the, the same... Uh, it was for everyone, not only me. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, oh, finally, you know, because there's always some person who's smelling like shit next to you. And especially when you play yeah. and they're moving Look, in your... It face. should be, that should go without saying, right? Yeah. I had this teacher many years ago and she would say, she was she insisted that all the female singers would come in dresses to the master class and stuff. And she would say in German, we have a German word that is called appetitlich, which mm. means it's appetizing, right? Mm. And she said, you know, for all the girls, you always have to be appetizing. But you know what? It's not only for the girls. I do not want a smelly guy, except if it's a honky smell. No, I didn't say that. But, yeah, just, yeah, just be considerate, okay? Just be considerate. The same also goes for like really strong smells, deodorant and aftershaves. And just, you know, we all need to breathe and live. Yeah. Choose a deodorant. Use a deodorant. Wash, shower. Yes. yes. Brush Even your teeth. Even if you don't think it's smell, necessary. Yes. Because if you don't know who the person is, the smell is probably you. Yeah. Oh, oh what, a, what an idea. And you know, you have to consider sometimes... The, the stage experience can be really, really interesting. It might be part of your paycheck to have an interesting stage experience. So make yourself appetizing. Yeah, no one likes to smell it. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. I'm so grateful for this podcast. You gave so us so I. much. So much good advice. So much good tips in music. When can we see you next time? Oh, that's a very good question. Well, you know, Night of Classical Music is yeah, coming up again. January. And it has been become sort it has become sort of a tradition yeah. to do something. Uh, we haven't really decided with, the, with the Constant. Yeah, with Constant and possibly with one of my colleagues or my students, mm -hmm. but we're on and it's my birthday. So it's <gasps> yes, January 26th. Come and bring presents. Yes. <laughs> so for sure. And um, I'm working on some on some 
biggish repertoire, but yeah. that's still... It's a secret still. Well, yes. The baby. <laughs> the maybe. baby is growing. Yes. But after Electra, you also deserve some uh, relaxation. And I need it too, I, I <laughs> yes. can tell you. Yes. yes. But would you do uh, Electra again? If oh, I would love to. Immediately. Yeah. I would love to. So, yeah. Everybody out there. <laughs> Electra is here. Yes. For you. I have my axe with me at all, yeah. at all times. And you published the uh, research? Can people re- read your research? I haven't published it, but I mean, I can I can easily publish it. Yeah. Maybe I should. You should. It's going to be in the newsletter. Yeah. <laughs> a little link. Yes. <laughs> PDF. Uh, I will want to thank you so much for coming to our podcast. Thank you for having oh, me, Pitman. Master in music. Because you're a master in music now. Now I am. <laughs> yes. And uh, I hope that it will go really good for you. Thank you. And your students. Thank because there are a lot. If they want to follow you, where can they follow you? Instagram? Or? I'm on Instagram, on a, I'm on Facebook, and yeah. I'm currently working on a website. Ah. So that's coming up. And also on the Conservatorium webpage? Yes, absolutely. Conservatorium Masters. Yes. Instagram and Facebook. And they can. Yes, and also, you know, if you have any questions, if you have any concerns, feel free to contact me because there's no question that is too stupid to be asked. So I'm there, you know where to find me. On the email? On the email and, you know, yes. You can find the email on the conservatorium. Yes, exactly. (laughs) There they call you the Royce Royce of Voices. (laughs) Well, it, it, it wasn't a paper. It was yeah. a, a review that said that. It's yeah, beautiful. It's, it's beautiful, but you know, you also have to keep in mind that Rolls Royce uses a lot of gasoline. Yeah. And if you try to make a U turn, it's, you know. So, Tesla. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the new Tesla. Charge me. Of music. Yes. Master in music. Master in music.